Let me open us with a word of prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for the opportunity you've given us again to gather together as your people to worship you. We pray, Lord, that you will work in our hearts and minds today to make us receptive to your word. And I pray that as we hear the truth taught, that you will show us how to apply it to ourselves. And I pray for everything that goes on here today. I pray even tonight for the baptisms, that you will be honored and glorified. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So we are in the midst of the home stretch of this book, and as I introduced it and began teaching through this passage last week, this is really Peter's exhortation to the elders of the churches. In the context of things, life is difficult. These believers that make up the membership of the church are having a difficult time. There's a lot of injustice. There's a lot of unfairness. There's a lot of persecution for righteousness sake. In other words, living correctly is not causing everyone to pat the Christians on the back. At times, it's causing real hardship and difficulty. And for all of us, Peter has been saying from the beginning, be holy as God is holy. I I say it almost every time I teach. First Peter, that's the ultimate thing. Be holy as God is holy. And the idea is that we're to be holy as God is holy, even though life is difficult, even though life is hard, even though things are a challenge, even though unbelievers may treat us poorly, we still are holy as God is holy. And and the tenor of the book as a whole suggests that for at least some unbelievers, our lives will be evangelistic because they'll see holiness even in the face of injustice and it will draw some to Christ. But in all of that, Peter is writing to people in churches and he knows that one of the resources that God has given to the people in the churches is their leadership, their elders. I'm going to read 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 1 to 4, and then I'll remind you of what we talked about last week as I introduced this. And the overarching um, outline that I'm using is just principles of effective church leadership. It's not incredibly creative, but as I suggested to you, when we look at what Peter is saying to the elders, you as church members can use that here at Lakeside or at any church that the Lord may lead you to in the future to evaluate, are our leaders doing what God called them to do? So follow along as I read. I'll do a brief review of what I covered as I introduced this last week, and then we'll get into the new material. Therefore, I exhort the elders among you as your fellow elder and witness of the sufferings of Christ and a partaker also of the glory that is to be revealed, shepherd the flock of God among you, exercising oversight not under compulsion, but voluntarily, according to the will of God, and not for sordid gain, but with eagerness, nor yet is lording it over those allotted to your charge, but proving to be examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory." And so as I began to cover this last week, and I covered the beginning verses, I first started out that a principle of effective church leadership is multiple elders. Multiple elders. Peter was addressing the elders of various churches, and he was using the plural form. 
And as I indicated last week by many other cross-references, and you can always go back and listen to last week, this is the pattern. Multiple elders. The second principle that I highlighted last week was humble leadership. Humble leadership. Peter didn't describe himself here as he could have. He began the book identifying himself as an apostle. The apostles had the ultimate authority of the churches, but Peter here, in appealing to the elders, did not give an order as an apostle, you shall follow. He appealed to them as a fellow elder. Therefore I exalt the elders among you as your fellow elder and witness of the sufferings of Christ. The witness of the sufferings of Christ called to mind Peter's greatest failure. It wasn't a secret. People knew that he had failed in a catastrophic way. He didn't shy away from that. And a partaker also the glory that is to be revealed is just a recognition that he stands in the same shoes as everyone else. He has to wait for the Lord's ultimate return to be with the Lord before he receives everything. He's not got a special insulation from the problems of life. He's with them. And this great apostle, one of the inner circle of the inner circle of Jesus, didn't give an order, but he just appealed to his fellow laborers who also did the same work he had to do. And he wanted them to do the work. That leads to the third point, and I introduced this last week. I started covering the third point, which is, the principles effect of church leadership, multiple elders, humble leadership, focused leaders, focused leaders. And the beginning of verse two provides that point. Shepherd the flock of God among you. Shepherd the flock of God among you. That's the heart of the work of the elders. God's people who are hurting and who are being subjected to injustice need shepherding. Over and over, and again, last week I went through several Old Testament passages, some New Testament passages. This imagery of sheep needing a shepherd to feed them, to guide them, to lead them, to care for them, to steer them away from harm, to lead them to safety, is the imagery God uses to describe the church. We have the ultimate chief shepherd in Christ, but... The elders of the local church are under shepherds. Their job is to shepherd, to care for the sheep. And as I alluded to last week, at times, this is challenging in America because Americans don't need help. We can do it all our own. In fact, quite often, American, our mindset is we're insulted if someone thinks they need to tell us what to do. Well, I know what to do. Well, God is the one who lays this out, not any particular group of elders. This is the charge that God gives. He calls you, if you're a member of a church, he calls you sheep, and he says you need to be shepherded. So if you find yourself being resistant to that idea, you need to be talking with the Lord because he's the one that says it. And that caused me to come back to a phrase that I skimmed over last week, but I want to highlight. 
The elders are to shepherd, and who are they to shepherd? The flock of God. The flock of God. As I came back to this, and as I was uh, going through my notes, and as I was typing, and as I was preparing, I realized how profound this is, and it's very simple, and there's a sense in which we really, we understand it, except sometimes we forget it. The church does not consist of the elders' sheep. Pastor Steve's been here since 1981. That is a testimony of faithfulness. You're not Pastor Steve's sheep. Bruce Mills has been here almost as long as Pastor Steve. You're not Bruce Mills' sheep. You're not Joe Trofimuk's sheep. You're not Rig White's sheep. Go through the elder. You're not our sheep. You're God's sheep. The elder's job isn't to take care of our flock. It's not ours. It's God's people. It's interesting because Peter was given the exact same charge that he's just giving to the elders, but he was given it by Christ himself. When Jesus was restoring Peter, and I won't read all of it, but in John chapter 21, I'll read verse 16. And I think you'll remember in essence, the scene, but Jesus was talking to Peter and he was dialoguing with Peter. In verse 16, he said to him again a second time, Simon, another name for Peter, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, shepherd my sheep. In fact, as Paul was giving directives to elders in Acts chapter 20, verse 28, He says, be on guard for yourselves and for all the flock among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to shepherd the church of God which he, Jesus, purchased with his own blood. So this is a critical and it's a crucial and an important point. Peter, I think, is stating this not just as a throwaway, but the elders need to remember that they're being entrusted with a precious thing which is God's people. It adds a weightiness and an urgency to the task because the people don't belong to the elders. They're God's. It's an imperfect illustration And it's always dangerous because it's not my notes. I just thought of it. But, you know, if Jesus walked up to you right now, besides the fact of being dazzled by Jesus being there, and he handed you something and said, hold this for me, I think we would hold on to that more carefully than anything else we could ever imagine. We've been given something by Jesus' goodness. Well, that's exactly what happened to the elders. In fact, when you recognize the weightiness of that, you pray for us more. So it's God's sheep, shepherd the flock of God among you, but here's the caveat. God allots a certain number of those sheep to the protection of certain elders. Remember, this letter was going to multiple churches. So the elders had responsibility for their church... And that's the imagery, the flock of God among you. In other words, you've got to take stock of the flock that the Lord has entrusted to you wherever you are. 
in direct application here, the responsibility of the elders of Lakeside are for the sheep that God has assembled here at Lakeside. We don't have responsibility nor accountability for the sheep at the church down the street or across town or in Largo or in Dunedin or in St. Peter or in Tampa. The flock of God amongst us is the people here. Many times over the last almost 12 years now that I've been here, people will come up and they will ask me or talk to me about something going on at another church, and I'm always hesitant. And if I can, I try not to give an opinion on it. Why? Because that's the responsibility of someone else. I've got enough things to deal with here. I can barely keep track of what the Lord's called me to do here. I don't have authority over there. Those pastors will give an account. In fact, the nature of that idea that the pastors at Lakeside are responsible for the sheep of God at Lakeside is part of why we brought on board Jack Jenkins. Because we feel the weight of the responsibility and we understood that with our configuration and with the staff we had and with the elders we had and the busyness of life, we were having a hard time keeping track of who our sheep were. If you're here every Sunday and I see you, it's easy for me. But look around. There'll be 500 plus people in the the service in a few moments. This is just a small fraction. And I don't really see much more than you guys. It's hard for us to know when a sheep has wandered off. It's hard for us to know, did somebody leave? We're accountable to the Lord to know that, which is why we put in place this process where we're trying to reach out to everyone every month. Will we at times fail? I'm sure we will. There will be drops. But the point is not to be nosy, not to pester you, not to be an annoyance. The point is we give an accountability to God to shepherd you. And this is just one of our attempts to keep track of what's going on. Our shepherding ministry is designed to help us shepherd the flock of God among us. So that leads us to our next point. And this is our next issue. Principles of effective church leadership. Multiple elders, humble leadership, focused leaders, and number four, willing elders. Willing elders. And I'm going to develop this and I'm going to add some thoughts. But it comes from the end of verse 2. Again, the exhortation, shepherd the flock of God among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but voluntarily according to the will of God. I want to break this down and then, again, talk about it a little bit. But exercising oversight is really one of the core aspects of shepherding. That's a part of it. The word that we use from oversight, it's translated, that's where we get our word bishop from. I debated whether to go into a long discussion of this, but decided not to. But I will tell you, I'll make a statement that's backed up by Scripture. Bishop, pastor, elder, they're all the same. 
It's not a different category. There's different descriptions of the same work. That's why all your elders, if you hear us talk, we consider all of our elders pastors, even though all of us aren't on staff. It's the same biblical office. It's keeping the duty of an overseer. Watching over the sheep, taking stock of them, knowing the condition of the flock, all the things that I was just alluding to. But there's an important issue. Exercising oversight is the, just a description of the shepherding of the flock of God. But there's a hard attitude and a motivation that must accompany the work of being an elder. Exercising oversight not under compulsion. The idea here is of someone who's serving, not because they want to, but they sort of feel forced into it. They don't want to serve, but they're sort of, eh, there's nobody else. If someone has to be forced into leadership, come on, you'd be good at it, you've got some skills, or we don't have anybody else, nobody else will do it. Or we really need you to serve. That's compulsion. That's not the right motivation. Someone backed into a corner. And told you need to be an elder. Is contrary to scripture. The aspect of shepherding this weighty task. This awesome responsibility to be given charge over a precious possession of God that was bought with the blood of Christ has to be something that a person desires to do. It's not supposed to be under compulsion, but voluntarily according to the will of God. God has to call men to serve as elders and they have to be ready, willing, and able to serve. If someone doesn't desire to be an elder, they should never ask to be an elder. They shouldn't be in church leadership. The nature of how life has played out, and particularly since I started seminary, such that over the years I've had a lot of contact with men who are wondering... Should I go into ministry? Should I go to seminary? Should I become a pastor? And I've seen some very talented young men. And when I say talented, they're intellectually sharp. They're theologically astute. I served for several years in a college Bible study and they were students from the master's college. They were some very proficient young men in Greek. In other words, they could break apart the language very well. I've interacted with people who were charismatic. When they walked into the room, they commanded attention. I've been around people who were very articulate. But none of those are the things that I look to when people approach me and say, well, what about this? The first thing is, do you want to do it? Is it a desire of your heart? I know all these other people and your professors and your friends or other people are saying you can do it. Do you want to do it? 
1 Timothy 3.1, and I read this two weeks ago when I was introducing this. 1 Timothy 3.1 says it is a trustworthy statement if any man aspires to the office of overseer. It is a fine work he desires to do. That's a central starting point. Now, it's possible to have the desire and not be qualified. It's possible to have the desire and, and you're not elder material. But it's critical when you have church leadership that they want to be the church leadership. In my Christian life, Debbie and I have been members of four churches And those four churches have had very different leadership structures. Two of them very similar, Grace Community Church and here. But we've been a part of other churches that picked their leaders by voting. We've been part of other church where there was basically the CEO pastor who said whatever went and he was in charge. So we've been in other groups and it's common particularly when I go back to my non-Christian days and remember my childhood and all the churches I was familiar with, a lot of American churches don't pick leadership in a biblical sense. I'm not criticizing them, it just is reality. You can look at the scriptures and you can look at their leadership structure. And what often happens is the people in leadership are either business people or they're successful or they're competent. But are they serving voluntarily according to the will of God has God called them or is this just some other drudging task that they have to do biblical church leadership has to have willing elders they want to serve they aspire to the office they are excited by God's purposes and plans for their service they're never conscripted they're never guilted into it I think we have time for one more principle today. Or at least I think that's how far I'm going today. Multiple elders, humble leadership, focused leaders, willing leaders. And there's a connection. There's a similarity, even though this next consideration is different. But it's similar. There's a connection. You'll see how they can lead together. And I have phrased this fifth point, selfless elders. Selfless elders. And it's selfless in a particular way. As you continue on in the verse, not under compulsion, but voluntarily according to the will of God. Then it says, and not for sordid gain, but with eagerness. Not for sordid gain. Stated another way, a pastor should not be greedy for money. The issue is the heart. Are they serving for the purposes of tending and caring for the sheep, or are they serving because they want money for themselves? We'll allude to it later, but Jesus himself distinguished between a hireling, somebody who's just in it for the money, and a shepherd who cares for the sheep. 
The idea is that someone should not seek and take a ministry position for the purposes of selfish profiting. Even to the point in some cases of thievery or dishonesty. This is warned against over and over in Scripture. If I continue reading, and again, two teachings ago I read the entirety of the verse, but I'll read a little bit farther in 1 Timothy 3. I'm going to go 1 to 3, because it's again, it's talking about the character of an elder. It's a trustworthy statement. If any man aspires to the office of overseer, it is a fine work he desires to do. An overseer then must be above reproach, the husband of one wife, temperate, prudent, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not addicted to wine or pugnacious, but gentle, peaceable, Free from the love of money. Free from the love of money. It's interesting in Titus 1.7, another listing. The words are different, but it's the same thing. It's a character qualifications of an elder. Titus 1.7, for the overseer must be above reproach as God's steward, not self-willed, not quick-tempered, not addicted to wine, not pugnacious, not fond of sordid gain. So when Peter is telling the elders, you've got to shepherd the flock of God among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, you're not forced into it, but voluntarily according to the will of God, don't be motivated by your own selfish monetary interest. In fact, in Titus 1... 10 and 11, in talking about bad leadership, wicked men, says they teach things, it's a negative, but teaching things they should not teach for the sake of sort of gain. In other words, I'll say whatever it takes if you'll give me money. You want doctrine to change? I'll do it. Just keep the money coming. You want to be able to excuse your behavior? Okay, I'll teach that. Just give me money. Sadly, I don't have to push this too far. And it's not just an American phenomenon, but we happen to be here. You see it over and over and over again. There are people in ministry for the sake of getting rich, making a fortune. They aren't in it for any other reason than they found the golden ticket to wealth. Taking from the ministry purely for selfish reasons. I've read stories and you've read stories. I've seen TV exposés. You've seen TV exposés. It's sickening. Again, it's not necessarily a sin. Some people write legitimate books and they get resources from it. I'm not bemoaning that. But people that structure the ministry just to make sure they have what they want. Read an article of a ministry where they traveled and they stayed repeatedly only in suites that were around $10,000 a night. It's hard to fathom. I've read fundraising appeals from pastors with a straight face saying, I need a bigger, faster jet. (laughs) 
there are pastors living in million dollar parsonages. The church owns it, the church pays for it, but it's his own kingdom. I was aware of a ministry in Fresno because I lived there. I wasn't a pastor. I was just a person that lived there where every day when the money was counted, it was a radio ministry, the pastor and his family would go through and take out cash, however much they wanted, before it was counted. Can't have that pesky IRS coming in there. And So let's just fill our pockets up. We got spending money for the day. All of those are an abomination. And Peter is warning not specifically about what things look like now, but the human heart has never changed. You take any time, any culture, there's a temptation for a pastor to be motivated not by what's right, by what's best for the sheep, but rather to be motivated by the idea of what's best for me. Now, lest we think this is just those crazy health and wealth or prosperity pastors, if you track the news in the last year to two years, there's a prominent evangelical pastor that built a nationwide following. I had friends from seminary that became a part of the church planning network of this ministry. And as they peeled back the layers of the onion, he was ultimately fired because he was enriching himself to the tune of millions of dollars even as the church was drowning in debt with special slush funds and special extra money for me and it was a sleight of hand to keep it from the others in the church and to keep it from the elders and hiding things so it's not just the crazies it can infect people that know the word of God and start out on the right path And then get shifted. When I was first getting ready to go to seminary, I sought out the pastor of my church. And he, just the nature of the Lord's thing, he had also been a lawyer before he became a pastor. But he told me, he said, there's going to be three things you run up against that are going to be temptations for you as long as you pursue ministry. One is sexual temptation. One is pride the pursuit of power, it's about me. He said the third is money. Oddly enough, that man that warned me of that lost his ministry because he didn't want to let go of his money. Now, I want to be clear. When Peter says to the elders... In essence, check your heart. Make sure you're not motivated by sordid gain. And since the letter was going to the churches, the church members, the flock of God, hears that and they understand, my pastor better not be motivated by sordid gain. This is not saying that pastors can't receive income for their labors. In fact even though it may seem self-serving given that I'm on staff here, the biblical pattern is that at least some of the elders, it's appropriate for them to receive compensation. For example, in 1 Timothy 5.17, it says the elders 
who rule well are to be considered worthy of durable honor, especially those who work hard at preaching and teaching. In other words, it's a specific exhortation that someone like Pastor Steve should be honored. And it doesn't just mean a pat on the back. It's a financial honor. 1 Thessalonians 5, 12 and 13. But we request of you, brethren, that you appreciate those who diligently labor among you and have charge over you in the Lord and give you instruction and that you esteem them very highly in love because of their work. There's an aspect of that that has to do with financial compensation. 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 7 to 11 says, who at any time serves as a soldier at his own expense? Who plants a vineyard and does not eat the fruit of it? Or who tends a flock and does not use the milk of the flock? I am not speaking these things according to human judgment, am I? Or does not the law also say these things? For it is written in the law of Moses, you shall not muzzle the ox while he is threshing. God is not concerned about oxen, is he? Or is he speaking altogether for our sake? Yes, for our sake it was written because the plowman ought to plow in hope and the thresher to thresh in hope of sharing the crops. If we sowed spiritual things in you, is it too much if we reap material things from you? So there's this balance. It's not wrong for a pastor to receive honor and to receive an income so that he can devote himself to the work of ministry. That's not inappropriate. That's biblical. The challenge is the heart of the pastor always has to be on guard. Every pastor has to be careful because if you're not careful, you make decisions based on greed rather than on what's best. None of the pastors on staff at Lakeside are immune from this. All of us are aware of that. There's a reason that no elder knows who in the church gives what. We never want to be tempted to make a decision based on, well, that person gives a lot of money. What if they get upset? We don't face that temptation because we don't know what anybody gives. Likewise, the pastors at Lakeside don't set their own salaries. Bruce Mills, who's not on staff, oversees a committee of people from the church that deal with that. Why? Because even with good intentions, we could be tempted It's critical that pastors guard their heart. Pray for us. We're not supposed to serve for sort of gain, but with eagerness for the desire and the joy of serving. For the love of God and His people, desiring to serve regardless of the money. The heart's motivation will impact the level of faithfulness to the task that's been given again just looking at the words of Jesus as he was portraying imagery in John chapter 10 verses 11 to 13 I read this in a prior teaching but I am the good shepherd the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep he who is a hired hand meaning they're just in it for money and not a shepherd who is not the owner of the sheep sees the wolf coming and what does he do? And he leaves the sheep and flees and the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he is a hired hand and is not concerned about the sheep. That's why it's so critical 
that elders not be driven by money. You don't ever want a circumstance where you have a pastor who pursues ministry and the reason he's pursuing the ministry is because of the money in it. Again, it's good for some to earn a living serving. What they, which I'm one of them, what I have to be on guard about is the motivations of my heart. So as you're looking at a future church, as you're looking at this church, as you're evaluating your elders, we've covered five principles. And I hope the next time I teach to cover at least two more principles that will help you evaluate things, but it's also helping the elders. It's helping me be reminded of my role. Pray for us. If you don't know who all your elders are, it's in very small print that I can't read, but if you get a magnifying glass, they're listed here. It is self-serving. I need your prayers. Pastor Steve needs your prayers. Rig needs your prayers. The other elders need your prayers. Because what God has called us to do is overwhelming. Because Jesus purchased your lives with His blood and He brought you here and He's told us, take care of this for me. Keep track of this for me. We struggle with our own flesh. We don't do things perfectly. We struggle with being too busy, with having too many sheep. There's a thousand reasons we can fail. If we fail, pray for us before you get mad at us. Come talk to us about it. If you see some aspect of what I'm covering here and you say, I don't see this in my leaders, come talk to us. Give us a chance to explain things. If we're wrong, give us a chance to repent. The weight of what God has called us to do is overwhelming. I said many times, I've not been a pastor as long as I was a lawyer But in the early days, being a pastor was very different. I was a lawyer for over 14 years. I've been a pastor not quite 12 years. So they're getting close to being two careers lining up. But what I said to people often when I talked about ministry was I anticipated a lot of things. For me, I anticipated the income drop. I came to the ministry from a different thing. I planned for that. That's easy. I knew that it would require time sacrifices. Perhaps not as many, but I I understood that. I already had a job that required time sacrifices. That was just sort of wired into me. I knew that my wife would bear a great burden because she wasn't called to be a pastor. But she's under the spotlight now. I knew my girls would face additional pressures that they never faced when their dad was a lawyer that they were going to face. 
What I never fully anticipated, though, was how heavy the weight was to walk with the flock. The number of people who were hurting or struggling. Who were broken. Who were beat down. Who were sick. Who were dying. Whose marriages are horrible. Whose children are rebellious. Whose jobs have gone away. Who can't pay the bills. That weight was greater than I would have ever known. And that weight never goes away. That's why you need people that aren't in it for selfish reasons. That aren't pushed into it. Because to stand up under that burden, you've got to feel this is where God wants me to be. So pray for us. We desperately, desperately need it. I know myself, I don't always ask for it, but I'm better, and I'm asking for it now. Let me close this time in prayer, and we'll divide up in our prayer groups. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you for Lakeside. I thank you for the flock of God among us. Lord, I pray for myself and for all of the other elders that we could fulfill this weighty task and care for those you've entrusted to us. And I pray, Lord, for your flock. I pray that they will see where they stand and they won't run from the idea of needing shepherding, but they'll embrace it because you've ordained it for their lives. Pray, Lord, that you'll protect our flock. Protect us from error, protect us from outside influences, and protect us, Lord, from any bad leaders. Lord, I thank you that we don't have that now. But Lord, the Bible warns that wolves are always on the prowl. I pray that you give the current elders the wisdom to be on the lookout. And I pray that you would give the sheep discernment. Lord, ultimately, we thank you for the gift of the church. And we pray that you would help our elders, our pastors, shepherd the flock of God with the right heart attitude and motivations. We love you, Lord. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen.